Hey everybody, how you doing? And welcome to episode number 188 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining me here. This is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, it's a live stream, you know, so we are always welcoming your thoughts and comments. You can type in your questions and comments on Facebook or on YouTube, and we'll read them on the air. We'll have a little bit of a discussion. Um, but, you know, this, uh, yeah, we do this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock. So thanks for joining us. And I know many of you are watching or listening to the recorded version. But, yeah, you're welcome to join us on the live stream every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two. And some of you, maybe you only watch this on YouTube. You think this is a YouTube thing exclusively. You know, I I do the podcast primarily for the audio only platforms like Stitcher and, and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio and all the other podcast platforms. That's really my primary, but I just happen to also put it on video. So if you're wondering, like, why in the hell is this guy in front of a camera for an hour just talking? Um, well, that's the point. It's sort of the video feed of the audio podcast that I enjoy doing every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock. So again, thanks for joining us. And, you know, we um, we have a really good episode in store for you. We're going to talk a little bit about finding purpose in your career and in your business. And I'm going to share a number of stories and things that I've experienced in my life. And, and I welcome your thoughts and opinions as we go through this discussion. Um, but just a couple of quick points. I mean, how about some of these local races? You know, they're recounting the votes, right, with with President Trump and Biden. And it's kind of it's still tight. And I know Trump is trying to fight the good fight. He's trying to get them to do recounts. And obviously, in a lot of these states, it's been very close and there should be recounts, you know, sort of trust but verify. Right. I know in the end, I think Trump's still going to come up short. But in our local uh, politics, it's amazing. There's a race going on right now between Poway Mayor Steve Voss and longtime state senator, state assemblyman Joel Anderson. Between these two um, candidates, they've probably had a grand total of, I don't know, 260, 270,000 votes total. And the difference between these two is seven. Seven votes. I mean, it's insane close. You look at it on a percentage basis and and Steve Voss next to his name says 50.0%. And so does Joel Anderson, 50.0%, which is amazing. So this one's probably going to go down to a recount, too. And I know they're still they still got a few thousand ballots to grind through. You know, we'll see who ends up winning this, but it's all trending now in Anderson's direction. Every update we got, the um, the lead for Voss kept getting smaller and smaller. And now finally, the two lines cross. And now Voss is the one that's behind the eight ball by just seven votes. So we'll see if he can turn it around. You know, we we pay attention to this here because, you know, a lot of my my guests, a lot of my viewers and listeners live here in the Poway Rancho Bernardo area. We've had a lot of these political candidates on as guests on this podcast. And uh, so we just kind of follow all that. But I, I just I'm every day I get right after five o'clock, I go to the Registrar of Voters website. Man, I'm hitting that refresh button, waiting to see what what's going to happen to Voss. But I'm sure his family's going through the same thing. And then, um, you know, also just a big shout out, you know, all the veterans. Today's uh, Veterans Day. And, uh, you know, hey, thanks for your service. And, 
Wow, you just kind of look at the Facebook uh, feed right now. It's just everyone sharing, you know, their military photos or their military photos of their family members. It's amazing. Speaking for myself, I never served in the military. Really, very few people in my in my family have served. I don't really come from military roots. Um, so I, it's interesting just to kind of follow because I know for some families, it's like a part of what you do. Um, and it's passed down from generation to generation. It's never was that way in my family. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, but anyways, big shout out to all the veterans out there. Um, all right. So, um, yeah, let's, let's get into this whole notion of finding purpose in your business and in your career. And we're going to talk a little bit about this, you know, kind of interweave career and business together because they are related. And if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, you're trying to find purpose in your business at the same time that you and your workers are trying to find purpose in your career. And speaking for myself, I'm going to roll the clock back. And, and I was a student at UC San Diego, right out down the road here in La Jolla and back in the 1980s. And um, I was a I was a computer science and mathematics major. So, um, you know, I got into that mostly because, you know, I was reasonably good at it. Um, I it was something that I had skills in doing. It wasn't necessarily something I just loved to do. I didn't have the passion to do it, but it was something that I thought was a pragmatic. It was a really good career choice. And that was kind of the direction I was pointing in when I was first in college. And while I was in college, I also had a number of jobs. I mean, I worked pretty much the entire time I was in college. Um, whether I, I had a job for a while um, working at the San Diego Sports Arena, selling popcorn and soda up and down the aisle at the San Diego Clippers games and the San Diego Soccers games. That was a ton of fun. Worked in like a lot of the cafeterias on campus, um, made actually pretty good money working as a tutor for La Jolla high school students, tutoring them in mathematics. And I made good bank doing that. And that was all money under the table, which was fantastic for a college student. But for one summer, I did a paid internship for Logicon, which is a, a defense contractor in Sorrento Valley. And they hired me and I was doing Fortran 77 uh, programming and and doing a lot of work, you know, for some of these military systems. And it was interesting work and and it was challenging and I learned a lot and I was paid very well for that job. My my friends were working jobs. I think minimum wage then might have been about I don't know, three and a half bucks, three seventy five an hour back then. This is in the mid eighties. And I was making eight bucks an hour and they thought I was just raking it in. Now, never mind the fact that when I was doing tutoring, I was making like 20 bucks every half hour, which was really good back then, especially as a 20 year old in college. But anyways, I had this job at Logicon in San Diego and it was a eight to five job and it was a great summer job. I made good money and I was able to, you know, pay for all my expenses and, and, um, you know, live a decent life as a student. Um, but still, it was work that, you know, I saw a lot of the lifers that were there and and it was kind of like that's what they did and it's what they knew and they just kind of grinded. But you never really felt like there was this passion, this love for it. And I began to have kind of second thoughts about this career choice. But I was already halfway into my major and still working through it. Now, meanwhile, uh, I had... 
uh, been very involved in my fraternity and it was in a lot of leadership positions in my fraternity. And I eventually got into uh, leadership positions in the student government at UC San Diego. In fact, I was president of the student body in my final year in college. And really, you know, that's when I got kind of the bug for politics and started learning a lot about a lot of these things that we talk about in this podcast. But I realized that at that point I was, you know, I was again, more unsure about what my career really should be. And, uh, a lot of my colleagues that were on ser- serving on student government with me, and they were all political science majors and sociology majors and communications majors. And many of them were going to law school or they were going to, you know, they had done previous internships in D.C. working for a congressman, kind of like how Kalen Frank did here, uh, you know, Poway City Council member Kaylin Frank told me in one of our podcast interviews, she was a, an intern for, um, what was his name? He was the surfing congressman uh, that served uh, San Diego, North County Coastal. And his name escapes me. He's a longtime guy that's been in San Diego politics. And for a lot of people that wanted to pursue jobs in government, they did that. And they always looked at me and they were like, man, you're not in any of my classes. I go, no, man, I'm in the math department (laughs) in the math, computer science. And they're like, really? Wow, that's weird. You know, because a lot of those a lot of those folks just, you know, they were more. Yeah, more on the the liberal arts rather than the hardcore sciences. But I, I had gone through, you know, now by this time, it's getting near my graduation time. And um, I decided that. You know, I'm going to go through the, all the on-campus interviews and a lot of big companies were there doing interviews. And I interviewed with a number of, uh, you know, computer programmer jobs and, you know, those went reasonably well. And then there was one company that really took a liking to me. It was GTE telecommunications and they flew me up to Mountain View for further interviews up there. And I was, you know, it's kind of exciting. You know, you here you are like a college student. Someone's paying for you to fly away for an interview. You know, that was pretty cool. Um, and while I was in the airport, um, I picked up a book and it was, you know, just looking for something to read on the airplane. And remember, this is in 1987. OK, so this is you know, Reagan is still president and, you know, it was a, the economy in in 87, I think this was before the stock market crashed. So the economy was still very good. And one of the corporate heroes of the time was Lee Iacocca and he had an autobiography and it kind of caught my attention and I decided to get it. You remember back then Lee Iacocca was, you know, one of the you know, one of the heroes, so-called heroes, he had navigated Chrysler from the brink of bankruptcy and saved them largely by negotiating large loans with the federal government and really was a media celebrity. And so I, I took the book with me and I read it while I was on the airplane and it was really interesting. And then while I was up there for the interview and that night in the hotel, I kept reading this book and I learned a lot of things because Lee Iacocca was going through a lot of similar challenges as I was. He had gotten an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree, um, or no, industrial engineering at Lehigh University. And he really wanted to work in the automotive business. And so he immediately went to work for Ford and was an engineer. And he was kind of in the, the depths of product development. And in the book, he told this story about how he was designing this spring, this little spring that was going to be put into a carburetor 
of a vehicle that was going to allow the car to perform better. And, and, you know, it was a, it was a difficult task for him to design this and optimize it and have it perform the way that the, you know, the product developers wanted it perform. And so he was just massively focused on this job that he had gotten. And he was, you know, just a year or two out of college. But meanwhile, you know, he had been paying attention to what's going on in the business and and the company around him. And he looked at a lot of the leaders in the company, the, the CEO and the president and a lot of the vice presidents. And he saw what they were doing. And they were doing a lot of really interesting things, leading the company, introducing new products, introducing the company into new markets. And a lot of that was interesting to him. And he realized that most of the people in the senior leadership at Ford did not come up through the engineering ranks. In fact, they came up through the sales ranks. And then he thought about it and he was thinking, you know, what I'm doing here in engineering, you know, I'm, I'm good at it, and I, but it's not necessarily what I really want to do. And what he did is he made a switch in his career and he went into sales. And, you know, that later on led to his, you know, rapid growth through the corporate organization. And he later became the father of the Ford Mustang and that built up his prominence further. And and I think he might have had a bit role in the uh, um, the Ford versus Ferrari movie with Matt Damon, if I recall. Um, So. You know, Lee Iacocca then rose to prominence. He became a senior leader at Ford. And then he went on and moved over to Chrysler. And um, and then he became even a bigger celebrity. And that's when he came out with the book. And so here I am. I'm on an airplane. I'm up in Mountain View. I'm going through these interviews going you know, to be a computer programmer. And I'm now even having more kind of doubts. Is this really what I want to do? Am I going to be in a job similar to the careers that I witnessed when I was at Logicon as a student intern? Is it going to be like that? And, you know, kind of the general vibe in that company. Now, granted, this is in 1987. This is before Silicon Valley was really Silicon Valley. And it it just didn't have that energy, that life. And so, Um, I ended up coming back and, you know, still a little confused. And meanwhile, I was talking with one of my buddies and uh, my friend Jack, who I comment about frequently on this podcast, and he was graduating with me and his degree is in management science. And at UC San Diego, management science was kind of the equivalent of a business degree. And he was trying to figure out what his career was going to be. And he and he had gotten some advice I can't remember who he got the advice from, but that a career in sales would be a good way to kind of get started in the corporate world. And so he was interviewing for sales jobs. And I was like, interesting. I mean, this I just read about Lee Iacocca going into sales. And here I am having second thoughts. And so I, you know, just started listening to Jack and he'd come back from these on-campus interviews and he'd tell me about what he was experiencing. And it was interesting to me. And so what I ended up doing is I, uh, I ended up going in and applying for a couple of, of sales jobs just to see what would happen. And I ended up getting a job offer with Wang Laboratories, which um, back then in the 1980s was a, um, you know, one of the darlings of Wall Street, one of the, the big mid-range mini computer makers in 
um, you know, in the market. They were like kind of the 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 primary inventors of word processing. This is before the um, you know personal computers became the rage. So this was a pretty decent sized company, and they wanted to hire me. And suddenly, you know, I had two job offers, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I ended up taking the job working for Wang, and I went into sales coming out of college. And it was kind of scary. But I know that going to work for them, they were going to give me corporate training. I was going to be working in, I'd be trained for over a year. And I thought, well, that sounds good. You know, I'm going to continue to build my skills and learn more. But still, the whole process was very interesting because a lot of my friends, you know, were a lot, a lot, a lot like some of the people that I was serving in student government with. They were uh, from families that were well-to-do. I, I certainly was not. Um, families whose, whose parents were very successful, very wealthy, and had given their children you know, some pretty good career advice. And that's why a lot of them went on uh, to go to law school, uh, to go to dental school or medical school. Um, some other, uh, some others, uh, that were in my, my group of friends went to work in business and then later got an MBA. And that was all kind of part of the strategy. Um, but I had no real advice. I was just sort of figuring it out as I went and it was kind of scary. Um, but you know, I, I ended up taking that job and I went to work up in Los Angeles. I had never lived in LA and I was taking a pretty big risk here, but I knew that it felt like the right thing to do because my spidey senses inside me were telling me that while I could go into the world of being a, a you know, a coding and a professional, uh, you know, computer programming gig and I could do it and I could be paid well doing it. It's still, I don't, I know it's the perfect career for some people, but for me, it didn't feel like the right move. And so I made that switch and this, I thought made sense to me because, you know, here I had been very successful in student government, very successful as sort of a people person, uh, a person building relationships and 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 really I thought a career in sales might be an interesting way to leverage that technology degree. Um, but it was it was an interesting process because this whole time I'm still trying to figure out what's the answer. And I think for a lot of us, we don't really know the answer, right? We don't know really what's the career choice that's going to give our life meaning and purpose and ultimately happiness and joy. It's a continual effort to figure this out. And sometimes we get good advice, but then sometimes the advice that we're given is really the life that our, our parent might want us to live, and uh, the life our parent might want us to lead rather than what we want to do for ourselves. And so we battle this and we try to figure it out as we go. And, and I went through that process myself. Now, for me, this was a major inflection point. You know, when Pete Neeld, one of our frequent guests on the podcast, he likes to talk about eureka moments when, you know, suddenly you have that aha moment that really changes course I had that aha moment when I read the book from Lee Iacocca, but it turned out to be a major inflection point because my life was going to go on one trajectory. And then suddenly, almost radically, I changed directions at the very last minute. And you can second guess yourself on this a lot. I often I often think about it, how in the 19, if I had taken that job working for GTE Telecommunications in 1987 in Mountain View, I would have been firmly entrenched 
with a career in um, software design in the very infancy of the boom of Silicon Valley. My life could have been very different in, in very good ways or maybe in some negative ways. I don't know. But it's easy. We can second guess ourselves on these sorts of things. But I think the what I did, and I did sort of unknowingly, was that I knew I was taking a risk to make this switch. But I didn't really think of it in the broader context that when we're in our 20s, that's the time to take risks. That's the time to try new things and to experiment. And my thought process at the time should have been, let's take this job in a sales career. And if it doesn't work out, I can still go back to computer programming. I, I never really thought of it in those terms of having that that second option. I kind of, you know, cut ties and just went for it um, when I went into the sales career. And for me, it's actually turned out to be very good. You know, my my career has always been in sales and then into marketing. And I've had experience um, and success in, in management for large organizations and have later on gone on to start my own business. And in the end, it's been very good for me. But, you know, you can always second guess yourself and wonder about a lot of alternative career paths. Um, but my my lessons that I learned through this process is that, yeah, in your 20s, take risks. In your 20s, don't be paralyzed by fear. And frankly, you should never be paralyzed by fear, but especially in your 20s. When you're in your 20s, it's a time to take a gamble and bet on yourself and try to find out if what is the right path for you. And the path, the trajectory you're on coming out of college doesn't necessarily have to be the path that you continue on. You may learn new things and discover new things about yourself to find careers that may give you greater happiness and joy. So again, speaking for myself, I believe I made the right choice in doing that. And in many ways, my career has been better off as a result. Um, but it's interesting to think about, you know, from a career perspective, what are the things that really give you happiness in your career? What are the key kind of components of this? And I was listening to Yaron Brook uh, earlier this morning talk about this. And he spoke about how a career to be to give you happiness really needs to do three things. It, it needs to be engaging. It needs to be um, something that offers you fulfillment. And it needs to be something that gives you great self-esteem. And I really kind of wanted to break that down because... This would be the probably the definition of finding that so-called dream job that we all seem to chase. And dream jobs are are just that, dreams. There have been some people that have achieved that, but it's always hard, it's always difficult to find that utopian career, right? But look, think of the first part of this, engagement. You know, is the work we're doing, is it interesting? Is it something that really captivates our attention? Is it something that really gets our mind going? Is it something that um, captures our attention? Is it engaging? For some people, their work is incredibly engaging. And for me, a lot of it is, even today. I know for some people, work is drudgery. It's not something at all that they enjoy doing. And it's not something at all that captures their interest. So it has to start there. The second element is it fulfilling? Is it, is it something that 
kind of matches up with your values? Is it something that is aligned with a greater purpose? You know, and I think this is an interesting topic because all through life, you know, we hear the story, especially when you're young, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? What kind of career do you want? What do you want to do? But a lot of times, a lot of times the better question is what problems do you want to solve? What are the big problems that you want to address where you want to focus your time and energy? Cause you know that if you help solve those big problems, whether it's a cure for cancer or revolutionizing the computer industry or whatever it is, what are the big problems you want to solve? Then that work becomes greatly fulfilling as you make incremental progress, building your career and building the products and services that are ultimately delivered. And thirdly, does that career give you self-esteem? Is it something that gives you pride? Is it something that makes you feel good about what you do? And then, of course, as part of that, does it give you the necessary financial rewards that you think are fair and just? And if, and if you can find that trifecta of engagement, fulfillment, and of self-esteem, then you're on the way to having what I would consider to be a very happy career, um, a career where it's no longer work. It's like what Confucius said. Well, how's that quote go? Um, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. Right. If if you're able to find that sweet spot of those three of engagement, fulfillment and self-esteem, then you'll be well on your way. But I know speaking for myself, there have been times when of those three pillars, one will be good. Maybe two will be good, but the third one, not so much. And then maybe you switch jobs or maybe you change careers. And then sometimes you'll experience the same thing. Maybe your engagement will go up, but your fulfillment or your self-esteem goes down. <laughs> and, and those three things can play off of each other. But, you know, I, I look again at my career and the work that I've done Back in the 90s, I helped develop a software application for the company that I worked for that was all about sales automation and, and, and about customer relationship management. We kind of built an in-house system that was very exciting, very revolutionary, made a huge difference in the way that our sales organization went to market. For me, that was very engaging work. For me, it gave me a great deal of self-esteem because I knew I was doing something that I was good at. I knew I was doing something that that was a reflection of my skills. And I knew it was something that I could pat myself on the back and say, I'm doing a good job. But that work that I did didn't necessarily fulfill me. It was It was an opportunity to help build out and make our sales organization more efficient and more successful, but it didn't necessarily fulfill my own goals. It didn't give me any sort of purpose. Then there have been other cases where, you know, here I'm I'm self-employed right now. The engagement of the work that I do varies. Sometimes I'm highly engaged. Lately, I've been very, very engaged. There have been other times where I was very detached as a, as a person that's self-employed. Um, is the work that I'm doing now, is it fulfilling? Sometimes the work is fulfilling, but what's more fulfilling for me is the fact that 
I am building my own business, um, which in turn gives me great self-esteem. That is huge. As a self-employed person, my self-esteem, you know, granted, there's been some low points, but overall, way off the charts. Um, you know, taking pride in what I've been able to do, pride in overcoming challenges, pride in um, earning what I earn. Um, from that perspective, it's been terrific. But then now here, here I am, I'm now working on this other gig, which is the podcast, the thing that we're enjoying here right now. This project for me is very interesting. It, it's incredibly engaging. I mean, I love working on this podcast. To me, it's not work at all. Um, is it fulfilling? I think so. I mean, in many ways, it is fulfilling. Um, it is a purpose-driven exercise. I think it's helping me better understand myself as I go through this process and explore and learn and visit with other guests and then do a lot of this sort of introspection of my life and, and the things that I'm learning along the way. Is the work I'm doing fulfilling? I'm, I'm sorry, is it giving me self-esteem? In many ways it is. Financially, it's not. I mean, this podcast is generating essentially zero dollars. Um, that's something I like to change. But I, I know that if I can figure out a way to make money doing this podcast, I think I would be well on my way to having a trifecta of en engagement, fulfillment, and self-esteem. And that's part of the reason it's called the John Riley Project and not the John Riley Podcast, because I'm trying to figure a lot of this out. And I've talked about how I'm trying to figure out ways to package products and services within the framework of this project that could be a revenue stream for it. Frankly, a lot of the work that I'm doing right now could fit into this already. You know, if I were to allow my current work, my my consulting work, my um, marketing agency work to be merged with this, I, I legitimately could say they're both one of they're both components of a whole. But these are things I'm going through. I'm trying to figure out. But it's hard. It's hard to find. You know, they say, do what you love. Do what you love. You know, there was a time back in the early 90s. And this is, you know, I was in the computer industry and the economy was taking a bit of a downturn. And this is what time when I was on some of those lower points in terms of engagement and fulfillment and self-esteem. And I was like, do I really want to be doing this? You know, do I, do I really want to work in the computer industry? And you hear people talk about, well, do what you love. And so I thought about, well, what do I love? And one of the things that I've always loved my entire life, and if you look, if you were in my, my office here, and I've got it all around here on all the walls, is I love baseball. I've always loved baseball and I've never been very good at it, but I've um, really enjoyed the sport for a long list of reasons. And I thought, well, maybe I could work in baseball, right? It's like the, the George, uh, like the George Costanza moment with Jerry Seinfeld when George says, well, I could be a color commentator on television and, and uh, do that. I could work in baseball. And, you know, of course, George Costanza goes on to be the, uh, the assistant to the traveling secretary for the New York Yankees. But, you know, I thought about it seriously. I go, well, why not? You know? And I remember I looked into it. I looked into the career and I figured this is do what you love. But I learned it was extraordinarily competitive because there were three million people like me that wanted to do this and that the jobs didn't pay very well. But I was just interested in learning. And I remember I sent a cover letter and a resume to Andy Strasberg. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he, he, Andy is 
very well known in the world of baseball. He's the former vice president of marketing of the San Diego Padres. And he has, uh, you know, just has developed so many amazing relationships in the sport. And he was just like me, kind of like a baseball fan, a baseball nerd that loved it so much that was able to create a career for himself. And I sent him a, a cover letter and a resume just saying, hey, would you just talk to me about this? I'd like to learn more because he didn't have a job opening or anything. And I just and, and I was surprised he actually got my letter and he called me and he invited me in. It was unbelievable. And so this is probably like in 1991, maybe. And here I'm going down to what was then Jack Murphy Stadium. I don't think it was Qualcomm. And I got in there and I walked into Andy Strasberg's office, you know, in the stadium. It's this huge office. And he welcomed me and sat me down. He says, I got your letter. And, you know, I just really wanted to talk to you. And he said, you know, what's interesting is he, I get, he says, I get a lot of letters like yours about young, you know, young adults that are thinking about going into the sport, uh, a career in baseball. And he said, you know, I can't respond to them all. It's, I just don't have the time to do that. But yours caught my attention. He says, because when I served in Vietnam, I served with a, another soldier whose name was John Riley. I think he said that the other John Riley might've been killed um, in Vietnam, but I know he said he served with John Riley and that made him think about my letter, made him think about his time. And then he just called me kind of on a whim and we had a great conversation and, you know, he was all about, you know, the whole idea of do what you love. But what he told me, was that you need to take risks. And this goes back to my point. When you're in your 20s with your career, you have to take risks. And he says, if you want to work in baseball, you got to be willing to do anything, whatever it takes. He says, you got to be willing to go work for a single A team and be a groundskeeper and make next to nothing doing it. And then at night, go work at a restaurant, you know, washing dishes just to make ends meet. You got to be able to do that. You get to get your foot in the door and to work your way into the business. That's what it's going to take. And I was scared. I was scared by that. Now here I had like a, you know, a decent job for a guy in his twenties and I was making money and I was like, do I want to give all that up and pursue, you know, baseball as a career? And I decided not to, but I look back on that and I think to myself, maybe I should have, maybe I should have pursued that. What do I have to lose? Nothing. You know, YOLO, you only live once. You got to pursue your dreams. And if there are things that you want to do, you should do it. I mean, it's like why I did this podcast. I, I thought about doing a podcast and I said, okay, let's do it. And so now I'm doing it and I'm glad I'm doing it. I'm really happy I'm doing it. Back then, maybe I should have done that. I don't know. Uh, you think about it. It's interesting. But no doubt, you know, do what you love and, and, and you're likely going to achieve some level of happiness if you can make it work. But it's hard finding purpose in your career. Um, you know, I'm in my mid-50s and I'm still figuring it out. I'm, I'm better for it. I've, I've learned a great deal. But I think we're all sort of chasing that utopian career, trying to find out what's pragmatic that can give us enough to earn, to, to live a comfortable life, but at the same time find work that gives us engagement and fulfillment and self-esteem. It's hard. But going back to um, when I was working for Wang Laboratories, and this is in 1987, and you know, here I'm coming out of college, going into a career of sales. You know, amazing. Um, I never, you know, I've, I've sold things, um, but I've never been in corporate sales. And at first, that sounds a little like 
shady. You know, you want to go into sales, you know, you immediately have this picture of a used car salesperson, but at the corporate level, it's a totally different gig. I mean, it's, you know, I learned later, you know, that it's very much a consulting gig where you're out there, you know, looking for ways to help other companies and provide solutions to their problems. And, and it's a, it's a totally different approach. Well, I remember when we flew back, we were, you know, we flew into Boston and then we would drive up to Lowell, Massachusetts. And this is where Wang Laboratories was headquartered. And they had this separate building um, that was their training facility. And it was like first class operation with classrooms and everything else. And they would teach not only salespeople, they would teach a lot of their technical personnel about how to, you know, optimize the systems and the repair people and how to do repair on computer systems. So it was a first class training facility. And this is, yeah, kind of 87. Wang later on, you know, they missed the boat. And by the time they got into the early 90s, they really struggled. But back then they were still riding high. Well, one of the first days they took all of us young, they call, we called ourselves AMRs, Associate Marketing Representatives. And we went into one of these corporate boardrooms and there was maybe 20 of us and they sat us around the table and it was probably one of our first days. And one of the senior people in the company came and spoke to us and he asked us, what's the purpose of a business? What's the purpose of a company? And immediately everyone's out saying, yeah, to make money. The reason that companies here that make money, they need to make money. And the guy smiled and he said, you know, a lot of people say that and a lot of people think that he goes, but really our purpose is to satisfy the needs of the customer. Our purpose is to create products and services that are going to improve the lives of our customer. Our purpose is focused on the customer. And there was resistance. Like, what do you mean? You know, you, you know, you got to do this for money. This is all about money, right? You know, and again, this is the 1980s and I don't know, was it uh, Wall Street? I think might've been out in the theaters then. Greed is good. And people were, some of my fellow AMRs were a bit perplexed by this. And it was, it's an interesting topic because it's a classic debate, right? It's the debate between selfishness and selflessness. It's a debate between doing for yourself versus doing for others. It's a debate between egoism and altruism, right? And as I learned more what was happening here, and it didn't really come to me until much later, is that I think the corporate executive... Well, first of all, I think they were both right. I think you have to, the purpose of a business absolutely is to satisfy the needs of the customer. But at the same time, the purpose of a business is also to create money. I'm sorry, to make money is to create profits. And that feels like a conflicting situation. It's like a moral conflict. Are you in it for yourself? Are you in it for the customer? And people struggle with this. A lot of times people will see business people and salespeople and it's like, ah, oh, they're just greedy. And, you know, all they want to do is make money. A lot of them are just liars and cheaters and stealers. Um, they don't care about anyone else. They just want to make money and they want to cut and run. You know, we saw some of that here in Poway with the, the developers that are building properties here in Poway. 
And a lot of people have that same opinion of them. They're just in it for the money. They just want to cut and run and uh, take their profits and, and leave town. But they fail to see the other side of it, that there are customers. In this case, here in Poway, there are customers that are interested in housing, wanting a roof over their head, want to live in Poway. You can't make money unless you service the needs of the other customer. And so you begin to learn a little bit more about this, about the way business works. And, you know, I, I think I, I want to share this. And this is a, an interesting line of thinking. And I, I wrote this down some time ago. And it's kind of like the way our brains are programmed. And I, I was brought up in a... Um, Irish Catholic upbringing. I went to Catholic school from first to eighth grade and I was an altar boy. And so a lot of, of Catholicism, Christianity, um, a lot of altruism is like really baked in the cake for me as I was growing up. And, you know, a lot of people think that we must care for other people, that we must think of others. We must sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others. We must be selfless because the opposite is to be selfish. The opposite is to be evil. The opposite is to be uncaring for others and to demand that other people sacrifice themselves for your own benefit. And no one wants to be that. No one wants to be selfish. So they tend to gravitate towards being selfless. And you see the, these two poles that are battling each other. Um, you see that moral argument play out in religion. You see it play out in government. You see it play out in society all the time. Selfishness versus selflessness. But what I learned has become clearer and clearer as I've gotten older, but I did learn it to a great degree in that training session at Wang Laboratories in 1987, is that it's kind of a false dichotomy because there's a third position. It's not just being selfless and caring for others and taking one for the team and living for the sake of others versus being an evil, corrupt, lying, cheating, stealing a-hole. There's a third position. And that third position is about doing what's in your own rational self-interest, doing what's in your own, doing what's consistent really with your own pursuit of happiness, what's, what's consistent with your long-term happiness. Now, the stereotypical salesperson the used car salesperson is the guy that's more, you know, on the side, you know, the stereotype at least is the one that's all greedy and wants to lie and cheat and steal and do anything for a sale. But doing that, is that in their long-term self-interest? Is that going to give them long-term happiness? It might give them a little short-term happiness when they make the sale, but long-term, it doesn't help them. Long-term, they know they're doing the wrong thing. Long-term, they know they're going to be alienating customers because they're not going to get the referrals because they're doing bad deals for customers. There's another way. And the way is, is to do it by not only pursuing your own happiness, but doing it while respecting the needs of the other person and instead seeking out a win-win outcome. 
And, and I think that goes back to what I learned when I was at Wang Laboratories in that conference room when the executive said, the purpose of our business is to satisfy the needs of the customer. The purpose of the business is not to make money. The purpose of the business is to create products and services to help our customer. In my opinion, I think he was trying to get away from that greedy, evil, lion cheating persona of someone that's interested in profits and instead wrap himself around an ideal of altruism that is something that people embrace in religion and other parts of society, trying to make it look as though he is a do-gooder. Because the alternative is, is to be in it for the profit and only the profit. The answer is, as I said, is both are right. The answer is to find a win-win outcome because the, the person that's a lot, that's for lying and cheating and stealing wants win-lose outcomes. That's what I refer to Donald Trump. He, he's all about win-lose outcomes. He wants to win. He wants everyone else to be a loser. Altruists, on the other hand, are for lose-win. They want to lose so the other person can win. But the third angle is win-win. The third angle is when people come together and find ways to cooperate that's in their best interest. And it's interesting as you think about you think you think about business and my doorbell is ringing right in the middle of a podcast episode. I am not going to answer it. <laughs> Hopefully it's you know what I'm expecting a delivery from Amazon. So that's probably what that is. Actually, hold on a second. I'm going to go take a look. Thanks for allowing me to do that pause. I went to the front door. It was UPS and I was expecting a delivery and I had to actually sign off on something. So I'm glad I took that interruption. Thanks for allowing me to do that. Um, so I say a lot of people, when they think of capitalism, they think it's dog eat dog, right? It's, it's all about um, people and companies trying to crush other companies and, and take over other companies. Uh, they think it's all about aggressiveness. But really, capitalism is about cooperation. Capitalism is about achieving win-win outcomes. And so think about this. Um, in business, there's cooperation amongst employees. There's cooperation between the business and their vendors and suppliers. There's cooperation between managers and employees. There's cooperation between the business and their customers or company employees and employees at their customer's location. There's cooperation between investors and senior management at a company. Business and capitalism is all about cooperation. In fact, there are many cases where fierce competitors also cooperate. Microsoft Word will run on a Macintosh. Um, Samsung and Apple 
have come, uh, have worked together on numerous technologies um, in the in the mobile phone world. So there, there's a, lots of cases where companies that you would otherwise think are competitors are actually for cooperation. But many people think, especially our friends on the left, progressives tend to think that free market capitalism is predatory, but they don't get it. The predatory type of capitalism is crony capitalism, like the like the Affordable Care Act or the or the Republicans, you know, so-called health care bill that they were proposing that takes money from some people and gives to others. Often subsidizing corporations. That is not win-win kinds of outcomes. When government gets involved, it becomes predatory. It becomes a case where coercive forces are being used against other people. But when a free market works, companies compete. They can't rig the market in their favor, or if they can, to a far lower degree. Um, And entrepreneurs are always pushing to disrupt that model. They're looking for ways to come up with better products and services. So capitalism is really about win-win. And I think that's important to understand when you're deciding what is the purpose of a business. Is it to make money? Yes. But you can't make money unless you're providing products and services that improve the lives of other people. Both are true and both are righteous. And I think that a lot of times people still shy away from saying that profit is good. They don't want to do that because it sounds selfish, but profit is good. Profit is a reflection of the value that you and your company provide to your customers. Profit is a reflection of the goodness of your company. Profit is morally good. And I think we have to embrace it that way. So if you think about it, capitalism in many ways is probably the only, as far as I know, the only, the, the most moral economic system that exists because it's entirely voluntary. It's entirely about free trade. It's entirely about win-win outcomes. And that's a good thing. So, We started this off talking about what's the purpose of a business? What's the purpose of a career? I think from a career perspective, you know, finding that that happiness in a career, finding that dream job in many ways is about about finding work that is engaging and interesting, finding work that gives you fulfillment and is aligned with your purpose in life. And finally, work that provides self-esteem, that provides rewards, whether they're financial or otherwise, that makes you feel good about the work that you do. That, in many ways, is the way to find purpose, I think, in the type of career. Find happiness in a career that's going to be something that will be meaningful for you for your whole life. Because after all, we spend a tremendous amount of our life in our career. And finding happiness in our career is is essential to having a good quality life. But in the world of business, the purpose of a business, some people will say it's it's making money. Other people will say, probably to a lesser degree, 
that it's about providing products and services that benefit the lives of other people? The answer is both. The answer is both. And actually those same, those same, that same trifecta of engaging work, fulfilling work and work that provides self-esteem, I think could easily apply to a company as much as it applies to an individual um, company. You, you see this a lot with businesses now where not only are they trying to provide products and services that are valuable in the marketplace, but they're trying to fulfill a, gro- a much broader objective, some grander benefit for all of society. Now, that could be a driving purpose in many ways, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Bruce McCoy on the podcast chimes in. He says, NIST facilities uh, facilitates cooperation between companies through standards and incentives in R&D to provide goods and services for citizens. Yeah, right on. What's NIST? I'm not sure what that is. My, my, my hunch is that's something to do with defense contracting. But um, let me know, Bruce. Yeah, so uh, business is is not necessarily dog eat dog, man. Business is about cooperation. Business is about finding win-win outcomes and where both sides benefit. That means one side is going to provide a product or service and the other side is going to make money doing it. And making money is not something that we should feel shy about. Nothing we should hang our head about. Making money is a reflection of the value that you provide. Okay, so, um, whoa, what's going on here? My computer kind of popped on me. So um, this is episode number 188 of the John Riley Project. I want to thank you very much for listening and watching. This was a bit of a ramble. Um, I really wanted to get away from politics today (laughs) and talk a little bit about some of the experiences that I've had, some of the inflection points that I've had in my career and things that were kind of meaningful to me. I mean, this is really more of an inwardly driven podcast episode, but sometimes I think it's fun to share things that I've experienced and maybe this will provide benefit to you. Um, Maybe you've learned some things or maybe you've gone through similar um, exercises in your own life, in your own career, as you go about pursuing your own happiness. Bruce McCoy says NIST stands for the National Institute of Science and Technology, previously the National Bureau of Standards. So is this the organization that puts the stickers on the gas pumps <laughs> to make sure they're measuring fuel properly? I think it is. So, um, yeah, yeah, of course, they need to facilitate cooperation between companies for standards and incentives and R&D. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, that makes a great deal of sense. So, yeah, capitalism is all about voluntary cooperation, win-win outcomes. It's all good. So um, a couple of quotes that I want to share here at the end. Before I do, I just really encourage you, if you like what we're doing here, give us a thumbs up, like the episode, maybe subscribe, share the podcast with others. At the same time, um, you can join us on social media and we continue the conversation there. We have the John Riley Project Facebook page and the John Riley Project Insiders Group, where we have a little more detailed discussion with some of our listeners and viewers. Um, so here's one quote, and this is from, I, I don't even know who this guy is, but it was a really good quote. His name is Raj Sisodia, the author of Conscious Capitalism and The Healing Organization. And he says, profits cannot be pursued 
Profits ensue. They are the outcome. And that's right. A business that's entirely focused on profit is largely going to fail. A business needs to be focused on providing products and services that benefit their customers. And in turn, if they do it right, they will generate profit. That makes a great deal of sense. And then finally, this is one from Steve Jobs. Um, And again, Steve Jobs, there's just so much about him that I think we can look to as a guy that really was doing what he loved, right? He, he built a company and was innovative and provided products and services that created, not only benefited people's lives, but created massive loyalty. And the work that he did by revolutionizing the portable music industry when we were all carrying around Walkmans and cassette tapes or sometimes portable CD players, he he was able to create the iPod, eventually the iPhone, just a huge revolution. A lot of the work that he did, especially on the iPhone, there wasn't necessarily a demand for it. He created it before the demand existed. You know, this is sometimes people will say um, customers are the real job creators because their demand is what creates jobs. But you know what? A lot of times innovative business leaders, they create jobs before the demand exists because they are trailblazers. They're thought leaders. They're innovators like Steve Jobs. He created jobs. (laughs) Steve Jobs created jobs at Apple before the demand for the the smartphone really existed, certainly not a smartphone of the of the level of the iPhone. But anyway, Steve Jobs says, "Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life." So perfect. I mean, a lot of times people are in careers right now because they they are doing it because. They think it's the right thing to do. It's something that maybe their parent told them to do, that they're essentially living out someone else's life, living a career that maybe their parent wished they would have done. But in the end, your time is limited. YOLO, man, you only live once. Pursue your dreams, pursue your happiness, take risks and live your life because you don't have much life to live. You know, I'm in my mid fifties now and I'm starting to think, wow, I'm probably past the halfway point. I mean, I'm almost certainly past the halfway point. Your life is limited. So when you're out finding the purpose of your career, don't let fear paralyze you. Go for it. Take a risk. Bet on yourself. You're better than you think you are. And go out there, man, and live your life and pursue your dreams, pursue your happiness. And I think that's good. That's, those are good lessons. And I think if I had understood that then at the depth that I understand it now, very, very good chance that my career would be very, very different than it is now. But we go on and we make adjustments. So anyways, um, Again, a bit of a ramble today, but thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This is the John Riley Project, episode number 188. Trying to get away a little bit from politics. Um, Trying to break the habit. (laughs) So thanks again for listening. Thanks for watching and have a great day. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye.